closing their eyes to the evidence that was before them of how God had been leading, God had been providing, and God had been blessing. And they kept getting distracted and allowing something else to eclipse the one that was sitting on the throne that was able to do above and beyond what they ever could think or imagine. And we would read the story in the book of Esther, Haman was an Amalekite. And so it came back to get him centuries later. It seems that this, this phrase has not left them without, without excuse. Because God had always been sending prophet after prophet after prophet to turn their minds back to him. And we come to the book of John chapter 9. I'd like you to turn with me to John chapter 9 because this is where we're going to go today. And it seems that Jesus comes into this world, he begins his ministry, and again he's pointing them back to Scripture, back to what the prophets have said, back to what Moses has said, to awaken their minds because, again, they have forgotten why they exist as a nation, why they were called out of darkness, why God commissioned them, they had forgotten. And all through the book of John, all the way up to this point and onward, Jesus is doing wonderful things to remind the Pharisees of the true living God and what it means to represent him and what it means to carry the mission out that they were given and we come to this story of a blind man. Now, he just got done telling them that before Abraham was, I am. And they got all upset. He was trying to awaken them once again. And they wanted to take up stones and stone him. And he, a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents? Well, we know from the book of Job that it's the enemy that inflicts disease. It's the enemy that inflicts pain and suffering. And it is God that steps in and overrules by his mercy to set people free, to bring peace in the midst of the storm, to give them hope when there seems that there is no hope. And so he would not get into the debate with them in regards to how this all came about. He just said, neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. He goes on to say, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So he's reminding them why he's there. He must work the works of him that sent him. We know in the very beginning, God's work was to create humanity, to create him in his image and his likeness and to send him forth to populate this world with more created beings that would be born in this world sinless, but that's not what happened. They fell in the garden, and ever since that fall, it's been God's burden of his heart to restore in man his likeness and his image once again. That's the work that Christ has come to do. And he was about to reveal that power, everyone free. And when he had thus spoken, he spit on the ground and he made some clay from the spittle. He anointed the man's eyes with the clay. And he said unto him, go, go wash. 
in the pool of Siloam, which is being interpreted sent. And it says, as he went and he washed, he came back seeing. Now, imagine yourself being the blind man and you hear this, and you feel something being rubbed on your eyes. You hear this conversation going on in the background and you're told to go and wash you're blind, maybe you have a walking stick and maybe you know the general direction in which you're to go, but there's still going to be some challenges ahead and that's getting down in the pool. So I, I do believe that he did not go alone. I do believe somebody that was standing there that listened to what Christ told him to do went along with him and assisted him. Now there was no healing virtue in the clay the healing virtue, my friends, was in the words of Christ. And that's how it is for us today. Yes, we have natural remedies. Yes, we have herbs. Yes, we have these different treatments that we perform to assist people when they are hurting and suffering and sick. However, the living virtue and the power of healing is found in Christ. And that's why we're to pray for the sick. And that's why we're to do what we can do to carry out the Great Commission in bringing healing to those that are suffering, but we are not to do it in our own strength, in our own armor. It is to be done so that Christ can be lifted up, Christ can be honored, Christ can be glorified, and that the person being healed will know it was the living power of the living Christ that brought healing, hope, and health into their body. And so he went... Now, I can't imagine the joy that was filling his heart after he washed his eyes and he began to be behold things for the first time in his life. How vibrant the colors, how clear things must have been, the joy that filled him. He, he, he just, I would imagine, he ran back home to tell his family he was so excited and he begins to tell all his neighbors and they were, they were shocked. They couldn't, they couldn't believe it. They actually started discussing between one another, is this the man? Kind of looks like the man. I don't know if he really is. Some said, yes, it's him. Some said, no, he kind of looks like him. I'm not sure. And he just made it clear. He says, I am. I am the man. How did it happen? I don't know. This, this man named Jesus, he come and he, oh, no, and it my eyes. Really? Well, don't you know what day it is? Well, yeah, it's the Sabbath day. Praise God. What a day to have your eyes open. Well, I'd imagine some people were rejoicing with them, but yet, come on over to the Pharisees. It says, Go Shalom and wash. And I went and washed, and I received my sight. Then they said unto him, Where is he? And he said, I don't know. Then they brought him to the Pharisees, that aforetime, him that aforetime was blind. And it was the Sabbath day. When Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. And he said unto him, He put clay upon my eyes, and I wash, and I do see. <laughs> you know, God constantly sends us evidence of his power, his love, his mercy. He was seeking to awaken their eyes once again, open their minds once again to who he was. Now, friends, we're all born into this world spiritually blind. None of us are able to see 
as God ordained us to be able to see when it comes to spiritual things. Jesus has to come down and anoint our eyes. You look at the Laodicean message, and it says they were poor, blind, miserable, and naked. And we're counseled to anoint our eyes with eyesop. That's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That's the gift of discernment. That's the opening of the mind so that we can understand what God would have us embrace in our lives and walk in the path of righteousness, for it is in that path he restores our soul. But we cannot go in that path unless we can see. And so we have to come to the great physician so our eyes would be open. But here he sends a blind man now able to see to the ones that say they can see but are truly in darkness. He's seeking to open their eyes so that they will acknowledge the true living God, the scent of God, Christ himself. Verse 16, therefore said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God because he keeps not the Sabbath day. Others said, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. They say unto the man again, what sayest thou of him that opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. He's a prophet. I'm sure at this moment, Spirit of God was convicting the Pharisees strongly that evidence after evidence after evidence, revelation after revelation, God was seeking to save his people. When you look at everything that was taking place in the Exodus from the time they were delivered to the time they got to the promised land, it was God continuously manifesting his power, his presence, his peace, his provision, to open their minds that he is able to restore them, not just to the promised land, but to restore them mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually unto himself. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called his parents that had received his sight. So they called the parents in. And they want to talk to the parents. You know, when, when we're brought before the magistrates and we have to give an account for our faith, they may bring in some witnesses. Is this true what this person is saying? And we may encounter, just as this man encountered, from our own family, from maybe our own brothers and sisters. Yes, we know he's our son, and we know he was born blind, but how he received his sight, we don't know. Yes, they did know. They did know. He came right home and told them. I'm sure they rejoiced with him. But now they have to give an account for what they've witnessed. And instead of being true and faithful, they compromise out of fear. Because the Sadducees and Pharisees made it clear, if you, if you confess this man, you'll be, you'll be banished from the synagogue. And there was a set time they were supposed to be set out of the synagogue for. And during that time, they could not lament the dead and they could not uh, have a child circumcised, and there was other things they piled on. Everything they could do to, 
to instigate and, and put fear in the heart of individuals so that he would not confess the living Christ. You see, the Pharisees would rather deny the evidence of their own senses than admit that they were in error. So powerful, friends, is prejudice, so distorting is physicist. I'll say the word here. Um, pharisaical righteousness. Let us not be so stubborn. Let us not be stubborn and stuck and so filled with pride that we're not willing to acknowledge the evidence that God reveals to us that something isn't as we thought. Let us not be too proud to back up and say, you know what? I was wrong. The great work wrought for their son had, been, had brought conviction to the parents, yet they answered, we know that he is our son, and we know that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees, we know not. Or who has opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him, and he shall speak for himself. So they shifted all responsibility for themselves to their son, for they dared not confess Christ. I love this guy because he's not afraid. He's going to speak pointedly. He's going to speak with boldness, but he's going to speak with respect. Then again, they called the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered and he said, Rather he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know that whereas I was blind, now I see. Then they said unto him again, What did he to thee? How did he open thy eyes? And he answered them. I love this answer. I told you already, and you did not hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? Would you also be his disciple? And then they reviled him. Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spoke unto Moses, but as for this man, we know not whence he is. Now listen to this. This is probably one of the most powerful, short sermonettes that was ever preached to the Pharisees. The man answered and said unto him, Why? Herein is a marvelous thing that you know not from whence he is, and yet he has opened my eyes? Now we know that God hears not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and does his will, him he hears. Since the world began, was it not heard that a man had opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. It's a marvelous thing, he says. You know, I would like to have been there that day to see the look on the Pharisees when he, when he just laid it out so pointedly. You see, the evil angels, they're coming down. They're, 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 they're coming right alongside those that would resist God. And they're, they're seeking to put in our heart to resist conviction. They're wanting to keep our eyes blind. 
and close our ears and shut our heart and keep it hardened or make it more hard. But yet, God was doing a great work in this man. The Holy Spirit also came down and moved in his life and gave him the utterance he needed to answer them. It says here in the great in, uh, desire of the ages, the controversy was becoming very earnest on both sides. With many words, they tried to, conf try to confuse him so that he might think himself deluded. Satan and his evil angels were on the side of the Pharisees and united their energies and sub subtly, subtly with man's reasoning in order to counteract the influence of Christ. They... They blunted the convictions that were deepening in many minds. However, angels of God were also on the ground to strengthen the man who had his sight restored. The Pharisees did not realize that they had to deal with any other than an uneducated man who had been born blind. They knew not him whom they were in controversy with. Divine light shone into the chambers of the man's mind. And as the hypocrites tried to make him disbelieve, God helped, to, helped him to show by the vigor and the pointedness of his replies that he was not to be ensnared. You see, Jesus understood the ordeal the man was about to pass through. And in our hour of combat, he will not forsake us or leave us. He will come alongside us. The Holy Spirit will inspire us and enlighten our minds. He will give us the courage to stand. He will give us the boldness to speak. And he will give us the love in our heart to do it in a loving, caring, respectful way. Well, goes on to say, and they answered him, Thou was altogether born in sins, and do you teach us? And they cast him out. I'd imagine they had these frowns on their faces. They sh shook off the dust off their feet. They grabbed their robes and they threw them around themselves. And they snubbed him as if he would contaminate them if he got any closer. They kicked him out. They sent him out of the synagogue. And it says, when Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said unto him, Do you believe on the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord? that I might believe on him. And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talks with thee. And he has said, Lord, I believed, and he worshipped him. When I look at this story, I see many parallels to our day. Jesus has given his people at this time in earth's history a message, a health message and a message of salvation. And he has promised that he would come along as people and he would manifest himself in mighty ways so that people would know that this is his church, that people would know that they could be set free if they were obedient to the word and they followed his counsel and his, his instruction. We, friends, are to be the light of the world. 
we are not to let nothing hinder this message from going forth. And so when we think back when this crisis took place on our planet, and I would say, let's think back, when was the last time the whole world was shut down? When did it happen? I'd say it was the flood. So I think God's seeking to awaken our minds to something here. Maybe an urgency. Maybe a, a, a re-prioritizing uh, of our lives. A refocus. Reminding us, lest we forget why we exist. We have been blessed with so much prosperity. Lest we forget why we've been given so much information in regards to health. Lest we forget, friends, that we're called to go to all the world and share the gospel. The Great Commission starts with a great promise. All power has been given unto me in heaven and earth. That's what Jesus would tell us. That's what he told his disciples. And then he would say, go. After the man's eyes were open. Or after the anointing took place, he was to go. He was to go and wash. In obedience to the word, he's cleansed. In Psalms 119.9, obedience to the word, we are cleansed. How shall the young man cleanse his ways? By giving heed thereto according to thy word. It's as we walk in the light, as it would say in John, 1 John 1.7, as we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and we are cleansed from all our sins. But there's, there's a doing. There's not just a hearing. There's a doing. And we will be witnesses. You think of all the people that were stirred up by this miracle that took place. All the people that would come and talk to him later, even though he was put out of the synagogue, they would come and talk to him and ask him, how did he do it? They would ask him again, and he would tell the story again, and he would tell the story again. Friends, what is your testimony? Do you have a testimony? Have you shared your testimony? Do you know how to give a five-minute testimony? I want to encourage you to go home today or tomorrow, pray about this. Lord, share with me how to give a five-minute testimony. Write out a few sentences. What was your life like before you met Christ? How did you encounter the living Christ? What's your life like now after you have met Christ? A few sentences. Memorize them. Share them. Share them with your wife. Share them with a friend. Share them with a church member. But know how to give an account for your faith. Because nobody can deny a living testimony. When I share my testimony with people, they look at me like, I don't think that happened. Well, you can think what you want, but I know. Just like the Pharisees tried to confuse this man and, and cause him to disbelieve what actually happened, even though he could actually see. The enemy seeks to do the same thing with us today. And just like this man was brought before the authorities, one day so will we. But we don't have to fear. That's the beautiful thing. Because Jesus would tell his disciples, don't think about what you're going to have to say at that time and in that hour. Because my father will put it in your heart how to answer. 
He promised that the Holy Spirit would bring all things back to our remembrance, and thus he will. And so day by day as we have that personal devotion, as we have that personal prayer and that meditation time in the Word and, and thinking about how God's been leading our lives and making a few notes so we don't forget and sharing the story over and over. I never tire of sharing my story. I never tire because it's all about God. It's about what Christ has done. It's about who he is, and it's about where he is today and what he'll do for you and for me if we just believe. And yes, friends, we can be assured. It says in the great, in the, uh, I think it's in the great controversy um, that, you know what? Um, family and friends will forsake us then without that will seek to hinder the work. Now, I can tell you God has wrought a great work. God has done it, friends. Not the village church, but God has done it. And since COVID kicked in, the Lord has inspired people in this church to just press on. Yes, take precautions, but press on. And by the grace of God, this church has conducted close to 40 different events and mission trips in the last year and a half. Why? Because Jesus said, go. Because Jesus is on the throne. Because he gave us the commission. He has the power. He has the ability. He has the way to navigate this way and navigate that way. I remember when we were meeting in that room and there was discussion about what was happening in March. Should we go on the El Salvador trip or not? And I remember a group of us kneeling down and praying earnestly, Lord, what would you have us do? Lord, if you do not want us to go, shut the door. But the answer did not come. And the first group got down there, the there was myself and some others. We got down there a few days ahead of the larger group, getting things ready. And things continued to start to tremble around the world. You know, things were happening. And there were only two countries in the world at that time that shut their borders down, and El Salvador was one of them. But we were moving forward until we knew that God said, stop. And the Lord would intervene in such a marked way that we knew he was saying stop and he would intervene at just the right time. And I do believe that God was afraid. And so, yes, the other group was on their way down and they were stopped in Houston, Texas, told they could not continue to get on the plane. God closed it down. We came back. We reset. We got down on our knees. We prayed, Lord, what would you have us do? Oh, do this, do this, do this, month after month, month after month. We put, we're putting together a video, and Pastor Ron will talk more about it. But I'll tell you what, almost 40 different events and programs. It's amazing. As I sat down and I went back over how God has been leading his people, and not just his people here in the Village Church, people down there in El Salvador, they never stopped. They continue to come. They've been working on the, 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 the Ford Mission College ever since. And we'll get an update on that soon. It's amazing how work is moving forward. Friends, God gave us the commission. He told us to go. 
And yes, different things has been said. You shouldn't do this, and this is the best way to deal with it, and so forth. And now today we're seeing an altogether different picture. Where God brings convictions, let us not resist. You see, in 1 Samuel, it would say that stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. That's how God looks at it, stubbornness. When we're too afraid to back up and confess you know what? I guess you were right. What we said was the best thing to deal with this situation in the world and this disease. Bill Gates would finally say, it's not working. Oh, prove infections to awaken his mind to finally confess it? Maybe so. Finally, he confessed it. The vaccine, praise the Lord. Let God use whatever method. Let, let us use whatever God convicts us to use. But let us not be so ingrained and so stuck on something that we continue to run over other people's conscience. And then when all the evidence is coming out, we're too afraid to back up. And I can assure you, just like the Pharisees, there's going to be some that want to keep pushing. But friends, don't worry. Jesus is on the throne. We have a God in heaven that is able to open up doors that is able to give you the wisdom and how to deal with something. We don't need to be afraid. He will work in us. And he will continue to move this work forward. And yes, people will continue to be converted. During the pandemic, a group of us went down to the Amazon. Yep, continue to move the work forward. They were shut down in some areas. One of the largest cities in that country, about 29 million people. When we got there, they were open. Everything was growing good. On our way back out of the jungle, they was all shut down. But had we not went, there wouldn't be a church there today. Had the Bible worker not went in after us and continued to do meetings, there wouldn't be 24 baptized members there. And you know what they're doing? We're going to get a report on that again here soon. That little church is now going to other villages in the Amazon jungle and sharing the good news. But none of that would have happened if we were too afraid to go, if we weren't willing to ask the Lord to give us the guidance and the wisdom and how to carry out our missions. But it is not to stop. And when we come into straight places and we find ourselves being put on the side and sidelined and marginalized and we know we went and we have done what we were told to do by God's voice, by God, conviction of the Spirit, according to the Great Commission, then Jesus will come right alongside you and I and he will bring us the comfort, he will bring us the peace, he will bring us the hope, he will bring us the reassurance that we have done what he has encouraged us to do and on top of that he'll open our eyes to greater revelations of who he is and manifest himself as his savior jesus christ 
A greater revelation was given to him, not just the natural sight, but his spiritual sight was opened. And so, friends, as we walk in the Word, and we do as it says, yes, there may be some things that challenge you. There may be things that, there's things that challenge me. But God said, my grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul would say, I'd rather glory in my infirmities and my, and my necessities that the power of Christ can rest upon me. And therefore, we can go in faith. And as we do, he'll increase our faith. Could you imagine how this man's faith was increased? Could you imagine? You think the next time he was, he was told by Jesus to do something that he, he second-guessed? I'd say no. I'd say he went with enthusiasm and great courage. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. There's a solemn warning in here. You see, if you hear God's voice speaking to you today, I encourage you to respond. If He's convicting you to repent of something, know, as it says in our Scripture reading, that the Lord is long-suffering, not willing that any perish, but all come to repentance. Proverbs chapter 1, I will pour out my Spirit upon you, and I will make my words known unto you. So when conviction comes, God is wanting to manifest himself to us. He wants to open our eyes. He wants to deepen the revelation or give it. But there has to be an acknowledging. We have to be willing to be corrected, willing to be directed. I would say if we're willing, not willing to listen to the voice of correction, we'll never hear the voice of direction in our lives. But there's a solemn warning here. Because I have called and you have refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded, but you have set at naught all my counsel and would none of my reproof. In other words, there's a people that he says, look, I've revealed things to you over and over again. I've sent messengers. I've given evidence. This is what Jesus was doing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and those that chose not to believe over and over again. God is long-suffering, friends. You look at how he dealt with Israel in the wilderness. And I believe it's in Psalm 78. It would say that they limited, limited the Holy One because of their unbelief. Do you realize that mortal man could limit God? That's an amazing thing. How could that be? Well, it's because God will not violate your conscience. He will not hold you down in a headlock and drag you along the way to the promised land, friends. He's respectful. He's a gentleman. And he honors your choice and mine. And so he says, Because I have called and refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regards it, but you have said it not all my counsel and would none of my reproof. I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear comes. Now, when I read that for the first time, I thought, God actually laugh? Laugh? What does he mean by that? 
No, it's not the laugh, laugh, like ha, 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 ha. No, it's like, ha, now you're going to call upon me? Now when the fear has come and calamity has come, now you want to call on me? But you know what? Even when God answers, they can't hear because they grieved away. God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. It's a terrible thing to push off the light. When your fear comes and, des and desolation and when your destruction comes as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then shall ye call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but I will not be found. For what reason? For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. I love it when that's inserted in there. But whosoever hearkens unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. I have this little post in the front of my Bible here. It's to remind me, when I come across certain quotes, I, I print them out because I cannot write it that small and put it in my Bible. I, I print it out and I tape it in the front of my Bible. These, these are things that really have stood out to me in my walk with God that I go back and I read. Some are warnings, some it's counsel, some it's encouragement. This particular one comes from Christ's object lessons. Every time God convicts us that we're doing something wrong or we should be doing something, maybe it's taken us out of our comfort zone. Maybe it's given something that we didn't expect to give. Maybe it's given more that we we're not intending to give. Maybe it's getting rid of something we've held on for so long, it's still building up uh, dust in the closet. And he's saying, clean house. Give it to somebody that can use it. You haven't touched it for five years. Let it be useful to somebody or sell it and put it in the work. I don't know about you, but have you ever pulled by, drove by somebody's house and both their cars are parked outside and their garage door is open and it's packed to the front? Have you ever seen that? I often scratch my head thinking, our cars are sitting out in the driveway. Because all the mission trips, they keep pull the garage, the door, the vehicles back in. But it says here, every time you refuse to listen to the message of mercy, you strengthen yourself and I believe. Every time you fail to open the door of your heart to Christ, you become more and more unwilling to listen to the voice of him that speaks. Now, this is the thing that, is, that should put some fear in each and every one of us, these next words. You, dis, you did. We diminish our ability to respond because we're hardening in our hearts. I remember not too long ago talking to some young men and, 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 and they found themselves in a difficult situation and I began to, to explain to the one individual, have, I know you've seen God work here and work here and work here and here in your life, have you not? Yes, yes, yes. Well, are you going to respond? Are you going to respond? Do you understand what's happening? You're hardening your heart. The longer you take, the enemy smiles. He rejoices because he, he's grasping you strong. 18 years, I've re revealed himself merciful over. Be written of you as of ancient Israel. How often I would have gathered thee, thy children together as a hen does gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not.
and we would hear those fearful words, Behold, your house is left to you desolate. Friends, God has work for us to do. The Great Commission is still given to us. He's raised us up as an end-time church. He's given us a message that no other Protestant denomination in the world has. He has given us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, and finances for this time, this hour, to bring light into a darkened world, to open the eyes of the blind, to give help and health to those that are lame, those that are sick, to raise up a people for the second coming of Christ. There's a man over in Australia. His name is Don Ritchie. He was known as the Angel of the Gap. Don had a home that was positioned in a very unique place, in a very beautiful place, near the ocean, and he could see there was, a, there was a, um, an area where lots of people come to see the ocean waves crash on the rocks below. There was a, a large cliff right there. Beautiful sunsets, beautiful scenery. But it was also known as one of the places where people would come and they would jump and they would take their life. And every morning he would get up and he would sit there and he'd watch cars come up, people get out, maybe it was families, sometimes it was individuals, but he would watch intently. And any time he suspected that somebody was about to do something wrong, he'd make his way out of the house, he would hurry over there, and he would just start a dialogue with the individual. How are you doing today? How's it going? And many a times the person would open their heart and they would start to talk to him. He would invite him back to his house for some coffee or some water and sit there and talk with them. The man talked more than 160 people out of committing suicide in his life. He died a few years back. But he was watching. God calls us to watch. God calls us to ask for discernment. God calls us to go. God calls us to interact with people and come alongside them and help them along the way. We're not to let anything get in the way of the Great Commission. We're not to be afraid. We are to go forward with confidence and with a clear conscience that we are doing the work of God. Friends, I didn't pick this quote. All nations to love their Lord and who had to the disciples who had been with the Savior during his earthly ministry had been given a precious trust. They were to carry to the world the glad tidings of salvation through Christ. Are you willing to go? Are you willing to let God take you out of the comfort zone? Yes, it can be challenging. Yes, it can be a little scary. 
I remember the first, it was to go right alongside me. So I took courage in that quote. I took courage in the Bible verse that says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those that are heirs of salvation? There's so many people out there. there, there many people are heirs of salvation. The world, all over. These people, they're heirs of salvation, friends. They do not know. And if we do not go, how many will go down to a Christless grave when they did not need to? So is God speaking to you? Have you been convicted on something that needs to change in your life? On something you need to do? Somewhere you need to go? A place you need to move to? Things you need to give up and let go? Don't push God away, friends. I can tell you this. He wants to deepen your experience. He wants to give you a greater revelation. And he wants to manifest his love in you and through you to bring others to him. Let's pray. Gracious, loving Father, thank you so much for this beautiful Sabbath day. Thank you, Lord. You have sent your son, Jesus Christ, to set us free. Thank you, Lord, you're so long-suffering. With Thank you for the challenges we have faced. Thank you for increasing our faith. And thank you, Father, for convicting us of the things that need to change in our lives. Today, Lord, as people have sat here and they've listened, they've heard you speak, not me, and you've put your finger on things in your life, I ask for grace and abundance to come down. As you have said, where sin abounds, your grace will abound much more. May your divine influence find entrance into each heart that is listening here today to accomplish what you'd have them do and arise up and be the light of the world that you have called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.